Well, today on Focal Point, we're clearing out our schedule to tackle an important question from a listener, and you're invited into the pastor's study to join Pastor Mike Fabares for a look at the difference between conscience and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm Dave Drury. Glad to be with you for another fascinating edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Now, to pose a question of your own, go to focalpointradio.org. But now, for the next half hour, we'll join Pastor Mike Fabares and Executive Director Jay Wharton as they tackle an intriguing question about that little voice in your heart. Is it your conscience or the Holy Spirit? And how can you tell the difference? Well, here's Jay to kick off our discussion. Thanks, Dave. I'm here with Pastor Mike in the Pastor Study. Well, Mike, if you're ready, let's jump right into today's question. A listener wrote in and is asking, what is the difference between the conscience and the Holy Spirit? So how do those two function in our lives? Well, they're similar, and that's why the question is posed, because obviously you know, they're so similar. You know, like what's the difference between a malt and a shake? You know, they're a lot alike, so that's why the question is even relevant. And they're a lot alike in this way. Let me talk about why they're similar. They both give us a sense in our own minds, in our own feelings, of either conviction or, or prompting. You know, they give us a sense of you ought to. And so our conscience gives us those same feelings. I think of Romans chapter 2 that talks about, you know, accusing and excusing us. That's what our conscience does. It gives us a sense internally of what, you know, was right and wrong, whether I should be justified and, and, or whether I should feel guilty. It gives us that sense. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing. The difference is that the Holy Spirit is external. It's not me. Right? He may be living in me, and by that, in that sense, he may be internal, but he's not me. He's his own personality. He has nothing to do with my past or the conditioning of my life or how my parents raised me. The Holy Spirit is independent of all of that. My conscience, though, can become very conditioned, conditioned by my experience. I mean, for instance, if you do something wrong, I can feel really bad the first time I did it when I was 12, you know, but by the time I'm 22 or 32, you know, my conscience may have given up trying to convict me, and I just wore it down and overpowered it. So there's no conviction there from my conscience, or it may be that I've ignored some kind of prompting. You know, I don't know, it's a dumb example, but if I walk in from work and my wife's in the kitchen and, and I, I want to just plop down and, and sit on the recliner, and yet I feel like, you know, I ought to... I had to get up, I had to help my wife, I had to offer help, I had to get in there and, and give her a hand. There's a prompting. Now, it feels a lot like the Spirit, maybe even when there's a prompting to share the gospel on a plane or something, you know, you ought to talk to that person about Christ, or you see them with a the Bible and you think, I, I ought to bring this up, and the Spirit may be prompting me in that regard. Those are both similar, but I can wear down that sense of prompting when it's my conscience, because I can just keep on saying no to it till eventually I don't feel it anymore. The Spirit of God is independent of all of that. The Spirit of God is always going to be concerned about things that are true, and the way I can test that is by reading the Bible. In other words, the one that wrote the Bible is the one that is prompting and convicting us. He's the one that gives us that sense of shame and guilt when we do wrong, that's always in keeping with His Word, and He's always prompting us to do the things that He spoke of in His Bible, in the book that He wrote. My conscience, on the other hand, may sometimes line up with that, and sometimes it may not. So there's the distinction. 
And, and I think like Romans chapter 14 says, we have to learn to distinguish between those two. And the only way I can really do that with, with clarity is to open up my Bible and see. You know, is it a principle of God's word that would lead me to feel bad about doing this? Or is it, you know, something that God has commanded that would lead me to feel prompted to do this? Because I know that's what the Spirit is constantly trying to prompt and convict me of. You talked about our conscience being sort of deadened to those promptings. Is there a way it can be revived or unseared, as I think the Bible would call it, yeah, searing our right. conscience? A seared or calloused conscience. Yeah, I mean, we can help our conscience along by continuing to read the Bible and see what the Bible says that God would care about, whether it's a sin or a command. I want to make sure that my internal calibration, if you will, is in sync with what the Bible says. But again, remember the advantage we have as Christians is, if we're Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's always going to be prompting us. And it's almost automatic that the Spirit of God is going to help prompt my conscience to get in sync. You know, in other words, and, and again, the only way I know it's the Spirit is if I'm reading my Bible. I've got to see what the Bible says, and then I've got to be able to say, okay, if he's prompting me in this, then that's the feeling I ought to have right now. I ought to, I ought to feel prompted to do the right thing. Or if I've done wrong, you know, I ought to feel guilty about the thing I've done. I ought to be led to repentance and confess it and turn from it. So, uh, you know, my conscience and the Spirit, I want them to be synced up. And the best way to do that is to get in the Bible and see what the Spirit of God has written, what he says is right and what he says is wrong. You mentioned Romans 14, and it goes on to talk about others' consciences. How are we responsible for that? Yeah, and we are, according to that text, but all within reason, of course. You know, I, I can't control what everybody thinks about what I do, and he addresses that in the book of 1 Corinthians. But when it comes to that particular passage, there are some big issues that sometimes, because of the conditioning of our culture, the whole Christian community may have a sense of guilt about. And though they may not be inherently wrong, in other words, the Bible doesn't say anything, the Spirit doesn't say anything about that being specifically wrong, but my, my no, the culture I live in, the Christian culture, has a sense of guilt about that. I need to respect that, and I need to not violate someone else's conscience by flaunting my liberties, which is really what's going on in, in Romans 14, a warning against flaunting my liberties, saying, well, the Bible says I can do this, so I'm going to do it. I don't care what you think about it, but in reality, I need to care because the Bible says I love my brother, right? And I need to think of it like in a marriage. There are certain things I wouldn't do because I know my wife wouldn't want that. And it may be that, you know, hey, it's not wrong for me to go here or do this or say that, but there's certain things because of my wife's sensibilities or whatever, I would avoid because she's there. And so it's the same way in the church and with my friends at church or with people that are watching me and even people in the world who may have a conscience problem with something I do, and I need to be sensitive to that. In other words, there are things that are allowable that need to be restricted, liberties that need to be uh, curtailed in my life because I care about what other people's conscience may do. Sometimes that can be taken too far. Yes. How do we yeah. know the boundary on that? Yeah, and I think there has to be some, you know, sanctified common sense, as I sometimes say, in these things. I mean, the things that Paul is addressing in Romans 14 have to do with the dietary laws, and you want to talk about conscience that had been conditioned by the Old Testament commands regarding dietary laws. Well, there was a lot of that, so that was a big hot button of the day. And the other one there was the day of worship, which of course had been rescinded. Uh, in terms of Saturday being the day of worship, as Hebrews clearly says. So you shouldn't have this sense of just, I don't really care what anybody thinks. There needed to be a sensitivity to those things. Now today, 
the issue of Seventh-day worship, you know, worshiping on Saturday, rather, and eating, you know, meat that was off the kosher list, those are not the hot buttons of our day. So we need to look at our day, use some common sense. What are the things that we know that if we did them in the lobby of the church, they would, as we put it, stumble people's conscience. They would violate their conscience and say, well, then those are the things I'm going to curtail in my life for the sake of love for my brother. So I look at my life that way, and I say, that's how I need to live my life in the Christian community. I need to be careful about what violates the conscience of people, and how do you determine that? Well, obviously, everything offends somebody, so I think you've got to be within reason. Paul uses the hot buttons of the day in Rome. We need to think through that in our case, and and then be very careful about those, and love our Christian brothers and sisters enough to know that we need to take their conscience into view when I'm making decisions. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. Right now, we're going to listen to a message you gave on this subject. It's called Keeping a Clear Conscience. The last two verses of Romans 14, if you haven't already turned there, Romans 14, 22, and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, this is not the theme verse for the anti-evangelistic Sunday school class, right? And unfortunately, that's the problem with the word faith here is, and that is the word, and it doesn't clarify that it's Christ. And most of us assume we're talking about faith in Christ. That is not how this word is used here. Don't miss this. This is critical. The topic has been gray areas, issues that are not expressly prohibited or commanded. These areas that are, you know, debated amongst Christians. Faith here, right? Another way to translate the word faith is confidence, it's a confidence that we have that this is the right thing to do. It's okay. There's no problem. If you have that confidence about X, Y, or Z, whatever the topic might be, the gray area, he says, keep it between yourself and God, and we'll see why. Blessed is the one, happy is the one, how great it is for the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. And that's the topic on the table by way of illustration in this text about, you know, the meat sacrificed to idols or not kosherly prepared. You know, he doesn't clarify, but there's several reasons throughout the scripture that we see that it might be an issue for people. Even though the rescinded laws of the Levitical priesthood and all the things that relate to the dietary laws are all gone, ceremonial laws fulfilled in Christ, he, you know, that's the issue on the table. And for us, it's a great paradigm and example for all the things we deal with that we're debating. But if you have doubts, it's a problem. Why? Because the eating is not from faith. There it is again. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now again, don't miss, this is not the object of Christ. This is confidence. Confidence, what? That's not colluded with in any way. Doesn't have any kind of infection by these things in verse 22. By some kind of part of my head that, that, that passes judgment on myself. You can see the schizophrenia in the bottom of verse 22. I'm approving it on the one hand, but I'm approving it, but still I'm passing judgment on myself, in one part of my mind, okay? Or, easier word, verse 23, I'm having doubts. That, let's just deal with the meat of this, which is the end of 22 and the beginning of 23. The issue of, let's read it again, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Flip it over. It would be a problem, and it's not a good thing. If you are passing judgment on the thing you say is okay, you're doing it, you think it's the right thing, but somewhere in your heart, you're passing judgment on yourself. Whoever, different word for it, doubts, is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. It doesn't have that pure sense of approval in your heart that it's all okay. Some other words that may help. Misgivings, apprehension, use more technical words, compunction in my conscience, that sense of, uh, of guilt that I might have. 
That kind of feeling that, you know what, I think it's all right, but I don't feel like it's all right. It's what, maybe a better word for it, we need to be sensitive to this, to feeling conflicted. If we have that in our hearts that we're approving it on the one hand, but on the other hand, mm, I don't know, I, I still have some issues internally. That's what we're talking about. And once you write that down, go back with me to Romans chapter 2, just to look at a classic passage on defining conscience. Conscience is so important in the Bible. I just love the way the ESV translates this. It gives us two words, and they happen to rhyme, and it helps us to remember what our conscience does. It's that part of our heart, if you will, our soul, our spirit, in our minds, that uh, it looks at, at a proposition or an opportunity, and it gives us either, yeah, that's cool, go ahead, no problem there, or, mm, I don't know, I don't think that's right. I mean, we have this conflicting heart. Of course, the context is a little different, and the subject is a little different here in Romans uh, chapter 2, but in, in the middle there, you can see in verse 14, 15, 16, he's talking about issues of people out there who have no advantage of being in Sabbath school as kids, but they're, you know, they're not doing the egregious uh, transgressions because they have a conscience. And he's saying, you know, they, they're doing by nature what the law requires, of course, not perfectly, but they're doing it because they have evidence, verse 15, of the work of the law written on their hearts, while their conscience, now here he's going to describe what we're interested in seeing, this sense inside of us that bears witness to whatever the issue might be, and their conflicting thoughts, there's our idea, there's the, the verbiage from which I get this point and want to kind of help us not just say, you know, doubts, but conflicting thoughts that accuse or even excuse them. Now, if you have thoughts that accuse, then it's bad, but you can have thoughts at the same time that excuse. You need to be able to, when it comes to gray areas, have only excusing, and that is, this is good. There's no problem here. It'd be like if I came up to you after church and I said, would you help me out uh, for, for the next half an hour, right? And, oh, I don't care. Yeah, sure. What, what do you need? Okay, and I say, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the mall, and we're going to let the air out of the tires in the parking lot. We're just going to go around and do that. You're going to immediately think, uh, wow, no. That, I, that doesn't feel right. right. Or if he said to you, hey, my mom's car got a flat tire, would you spend a half an hour and just help me change the tire? You're going to put off your lunch plan a little longer and all that, but you're going to help me do that? Think that through now. And, and you're thinking, about, oh, why am I doing this? Now, you're going to think, why am I doing this when you're with me at the mall letting air out of tires, and your, your conscience is going to be accusing you. And, but if you're thinking about, okay, the proposition of you going out and helping me change my mom's flat tire in the parking lot of the church, hopefully you're going to be like, oh, totally. Yeah, it was, you know, put me back time. You got my hands dirty. Got a little smudge on my shirt. But you know what? It's okay. It's for a good reason. And I was helping out the pastor and the pastor's mom. That was a good thing. I mean, that's how your conscience works. Now, here's the thing. What Romans 14 is calling for is that you have only thoughts in your heart of excusing you. That you think, this is all right. This is good. There's no thoughts in your heart of accusing you. This is the thing. Your conscience needs to be clear, we say. It needs to be pure in the sense that there is no part of your heart that says you should not be doing this, right? Compunction, misgivings, apprehension, some part of your heart that feels guilty. If, here's how you know, moms used to put it, when in doubt, don't, right? Whatever the issue is, if you are doubting that you should be doing it, the discussion's over. Don't do it. I don't care what the gray area is. I don't care how many other Christians can do it and feel fine about it. If you can't do it and feel a, here's the word used in the Bible, faith, which means a confidence that's unmitigated, unpolluted with a feeling of guilt. See, that's what you've got to have. I mean, that's a simple point. We don't need long on that. But let me give a little sidebar here to tell you this. Here's the problem. 
When it comes to me saying to you, would you help me out this afternoon? Uh, We're going to go do something. You're going to determine my assignment or my request for you to join me in the assignment. Just out of, It's going to be in a vacuum. It's going to be a simple, okay, well, what is it? Because your desire is to do something else. This is just a new opportunity for you. But when it comes to gray areas, we are drawn to consider gray areas because we want to do those things, right? We have a desire to go there to purchase that, to participate, to partake, to to purchase, to put on. All of those things that we want to do, there's a desire there that is driving this. But you know what the Bible's going to say? Look at your conscience. Check in with your conscience. Make sure your conscience is clear. Focus on it. Give it attention. Put the spotlight on it and figure out whether you should or shouldn't do it. Real quick, just on the continued sidebar, remember this. If you don't give your conscience a microphone to speak clearly into the issues of your life, it will eventually attenuate that volume until it doesn't even speak up anymore. Or to put it in a more simple way, you ignore your conscience, you damage it. And when you damage your conscience, right, it it stops speaking up on the issues that you and I face. Don't do that. Let's use Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 talks about insincere liars. There's people that don't tell the truth, but they don't even know they're not telling the truth. These people in 1 Timothy 4 know they're not telling the truth. And he says, those people that are insincere liars, they know the truth, they purposely ignore the truth, and they tell you a lie. He said they've had their conscience seared. That's the the word for burned and then calloused over and there's a scar on it. And if you've got some scar on your body, i got one on my finger here and there's a place on my finger, I can touch it, but I can't feel anything because of that scar. That's what your conscience will do if you keep ignoring it, if you keep doing things contrary to it. When you violate your conscience, all I'm telling you is you're setting yourself up for increasing problems because your conscience will stop being healthy. It needs to be healthy and it needs to be sensitive Do you know how to have a sensitive conscience? Number one, make sure you're a Christian Uh, because here's the thing about uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with our spirit. He works in conjunction with our spirit to heighten our sense of right and wrong. And so we should have a heightened sense of conscience, certainly as it relates to what the Holy Spirit wrote, but even as it relates to things that we we should judiciously decide are right or wrong. The, The Holy Spirit is going to be that reality in our lives that will talk about attenuation. It will turn up the volume on our conscience. And lastly, and real practically here on this sidebar, let's say this. You want your conscience to be a healthy conscience that you are sensitive to, you need more time in this book. The more you ignore this book, right, the less you can rely on whether your conscience is even accurate or even active in the decisions that you make. To put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, and as long as you got your Bible off of Romans 14, let's go to Acts chapter 24. Great statement, great Greek word, great translation of this. As as Paul is in Caesarea Maritime, there on the border of the Mediterranean Sea, Acts 24. He's before Felix. He's telling his story. Drop down to verse 16. One statement that is so good as it relates to conscience. So I always take pains, more on that in a minute, to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I'm going to look at what God says, and then even I have to consider what men are thinking. So I, I want to have a clear conscience. There's no, ah, I really shouldn't have done that. I want to be clear about my conscience. That is a great statement. Take pains is a word that is used in classical Greek for the guy in the exercise gym getting really sweaty, working hard, working out, toiling, taking pains, being willing to hurt in looking at my conscience to see if it's clear enough. What am I trying to say in this point? Be super sensitive to your conscience. Look for anything that's conflicted. I'm going to not participate. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to entertain myself that way. I'm not going to do that stuff because my heart is conflicted. 
can know your heart. Can you know it perfectly? I understand that you can't. I get that. But give some attention to your conscience. A lot. Big deal. Why? Bottom of verse 23 back in Romans 14. Because if you don't have that faith, that clean conscience, that confidence that's not commingled with passing judgment on myself, that faith, that confidence that doesn't have any doubts, if you don't have that, Here's the problem. If it doesn't proceed, the decision doesn't proceed from that kind of confidence. It is, what's the last word of the chapter? Sin. That is a heinous word in the book of Romans. He takes chapters to talk about the problem of sin, hamartia, how bad this thing is. That it really, just think theologically, sent Christ to the cross. Christ had to suffer and die on the cross. And what this text is positing for us, think this through is that one guy can do one thing as a Christian and do it for the honor of God because his conscience is clear. And the guy across the aisle can do the exact same thing. But if he is conflicted in his conscience, he has doubts, he's judging himself and, and down that there's something wrong with this. He can do the exact same thing. And for him, it is sin. And that should be like, oh, that's a big deal. Not to go too far off on, on this, but there is a kind of theology invading churches like ours that seem to think sin for a Christian is no big deal. It is a big deal. If for nothing else, let me appeal to you that if you find that confidence, you will be vigilant because if in your heart some kind of doubt or some kind of conviction sets in, if you continue to do it, you will displease God. You will be in sin. And that's a big, big deal. Put it this way, number two in your outline. If you're confident, whatever this gray area is, and you say, I am, I'm clean, I'm not conflicted, I have that faith as it's defined in this context. Here's what I'm going to say. You still need to be vigilant. Be careful. Be watchful. Be alert. Be circumspect. Think carefully to make sure that you don't fall into sin because that's what's at stake in the whole passage is that you and I can sin. If need be, I'm willing to ditch the whole liberty for the sake of civility, peace, consideration, love, and unity in the body of Christ. Let that be the upshot of our study through the gray areas in Romans 14. We're talking about navigating the gray areas in life here on Focal Point. Today's message from Pastor Mike Fabares is called Keeping a Clear Conscience. And he'll be back in just a moment with one more announcement, so stick around. But first, we have a resource we'd like to share with you. This month, we're offering a CD copy of Pastor Mike's complete sermon series called Envy, A Private But Disruptive Sin. If you've never contacted us before, you can request a copy when you get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Ask for your free copy of Pastor Mike's sermon on Envy when you call us at 888-320-5885 or look for your free gift online at focalpointradio.org. And before we go, Pastor Mike has a few words to say about his latest book on the topic of envy. Pastor Mike, there are a lot of issues people are worried about these days. Finances, politics, uncertainty about the future. But I don't think most people are thinking about envy. So why is envy such a big cause for concern? Envy often goes undetected or ignored. But if you knew all the damage that it was causing, I mean, in your soul, in your relationships, and even society at large, you'd do everything you possibly could to root it out. That's what prompted me to do a study on envy. And I wrote my findings in a book to help you better understand the costly problem of envy and all of its related expressions of coveting and jealousy. 
My book is called Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. And it's my prayer that this book will provide you with some hope and help and an effective counterattack that will not only please the Lord, but it's going to greatly improve your daily life. It's time to rethink the pervasive and corrosive sin of envy. So get in touch with Focal Point today to request your copy of my new book. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Request your copy of Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had when you call 888-320-5885 or when you donate online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you'd rather send your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again next time as we continue exploring God's Word together right here on Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.